Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And God bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. Well, good morning, everyone. I have uh, had the privilege this week to gather with some of our mothers here at East City Wesleyan Church and I'm going to invite them at this time to come join me. So if you, you were with me earlier this week, come on up. As they make their way, we had um, a guy never allocates enough time when he's sitting there for a conversation with a group of ladies. Um, so I thought what might be an hour time extended into an hour and a half and two hours and it was such an enriching time. And I think uh, when we gathered together and we shared uh, amongst ourselves that there was laughter. There was, oh, I almost forgot something. Silly me. I got the water out, but uh, forgot these. <laughs> there were tears. There were stories. There were memories. And there was lifelong lessons that even a guy that will never be a mother might not ever understand motherhood, I could take some godly truths out of that. And as we go into these three weeks uh, of, of focusing on motherhood and the godly truths and lifelong principles we can take, we learn through wisdom, we learn through experience, we learn from one another. So we're going to unpack some of those stories for you this morning as these ladies share their experiences, their life, their truths, their struggles, their joys along the way. So let me set the stage for us, okay? So a kid asks his dad, Dad, what's a man? The dad says, a man is someone who is responsible and cares for their family. The kid says, boy, Dad, I hope one day I can be a man just like Mom. <laughs> Ouch. A mother said to her son, have you guys ever tried sarcasm in parenting? 
Surely not, right? Sarcasm, have you ever gotten sarcastic with your kids? A mother said to her son, look at that kid over there. He's not misbehaving. The son replied, maybe he has good parents then. <laughs> Backfired. The daughter asked, mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? Mom's response, I don't know, darling, go ask your grandmother. <laughs> Quite good. So life can be full of surprises, right? We can roadmap it out. We can have the expectations that we learned about last week. And then there's the realities, things that creep in and change things. And there's many surprises as a parent every step of the way, almost daily, hourly, minute by minute, another surprise. And we were sharing stories, and it's kind of like when you really want to break the ice with a group of women, and I've noticed this because I know my wife well, that they get together and they talk about kids and where does it end up? Call the midwife TV sitcom stories, right? It's about birthing your children into the world. And tears shed and stories go, and my experience was like this, my experience was like that, and um, always a surprise. But I don't think there was any surprise greater than Melee's surprise. 24 years old, becoming a mom for the first time, and had some challenges with uh, her pregnancy, right? And the doctors looked at her and thought, and this is in Tonga, this is um, like call, call the midway times, right? The, you told me when they checked for the heartbeat, they used the funnel. No electronic device, but they were listening and they heard the heartbeat, everything's good, but they thought, oh, Melee, um, Manasseh's cooking too much good food for you. We need to put you on a diet because you're getting too big for this pregnancy. And she thought, I beg your pardon? Okay, well, you're the doctor. So she goes in, you know, she's, she's gone along the nine months and it's almost time to deliver what should be the most exciting, well-planned, thought-out thing. You have your birth plan, you've taken the classes, you're ready, you got your support people, the people praying, and you're getting ready to welcome your first child into the world, and C-section. When you woke up from the C-section, what did you find out that was an absolute shock? Tell us your story. Um, when I woke up, the sister in the, the ward, who's also a friend of ours, uh, she said, Mele, Mele, walk, wake up, wake up. And then the first uh, sentence he said to me, you have twin girls. Surprise. That, that was really a surprise and I couldn't believe it. And then I said, what? And then she says, yes, you have two beautiful twin girls, which was the moment that she told me was the first moment that I knew about me carrying two lovely twin girls, four pounds each for nine months. So the first time I saw them was after a day from that time. And when I saw them in a little, in a sort of trolley kind of thing, they rolled me up them up to my bed and they said, here are your girls. And then I look, I call them from that day as two little piglets. Because <laughs> they were very tiny, but hopefully they will be here today, 35 years later. They are wonderful ladies. And, and yeah, yeah. 
the shock, those of us that are parents, the shock of becoming a parent for the first time, and then like, what? I have to multiply this by two? Normally you have about six, seven months to prepare for such instances, but here it was, in the moment, no going back, hey, surprise, and, and, and just rolling with the punches, right? So surprise after surprise. Now, Stephanie, you and George um, have had a lot of change and transition. And you've recently moved to New Zealand from Singapore, and you had shared with us kind of your life plan, goals, and you weren't quite sure if having and raising a family fit into that. And you guys really sensed, hey, we're, we're established, we're into our careers, we know what God's leading us, calling us to do. And you moved to New Zealand, and... George, in his very gracious and loving way, kind of gave you a little nudge and said, what do you think about trying to have a kid? Well, we know the end of the story. If you've seen the pram pushing in and out of the sanctuary on Sundays, and if you've met a super handsome little Robbie, right? So that was a surprise for you, and it's been a big adjustment. Unpack that a little bit for us. from Singapore about two years plus ago. And when we were in Singapore, our lives were very busy. Um, George and I were just working and we knock off maybe at 7 p.m. at night. That's probably the earliest you get. And I was working in church, so sometimes I have Bible study classes at night. So we were busy, our lives were really full, and so we never really considered having children until we came here, and I took a while to find a job. And during that time, George said, um, why don't we think about this? And I thought, you know, I had preached about marriage and about God's command to multiply, you know, be fruitful. And I said, okay, let's leave this to God. Let's try for a while. And if it works out, good. And if it doesn't, phew. <laughs> the relief. <laughs> so we tried. Um, and lo and behold, we conceived in just one month later. So, yeah. And so that was a big change for us, uh, going from just two of us trying to navigate life together, and now we have little Robbie, he's in the crutch now with George. Uh, yeah, so it's been really eventful, and Robbie was actually born on the 26th of April last year, on the last day of the level four lockdown. So we had to spend the first few months with him all on our own. And our midwife could only visit us, I think, in his second month. Yeah, so that was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but thank God you know, I, <laughs> that he pulled us through. Yeah. I love when you and George talk about Robbie, though, and the, the smiles on your faces, at least the smiles you show us at church, right, when you're not stressed <laughs> out and busy, that um, you really get a sense of what a blessing he is in your life. And I love what you shared with us uh, this week that you said, you know, I really sense my blessing that I get to be a steward in Robbie's life. What does that mean to you, to be a steward in his life? Well, 
To be honest, uh, most of my friends have many children by this point. Um, and a lot of them, uh, well, I can see the change, you know. Um, some of my close friends, suddenly their lives are all about the children. And don't forget at that time, George and I were still without kids, you know. So I'm like calling my friend up and she's like, oh, I can't, you know, I have to do this for my kid and do that for my kid and do their homework and do their whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, your whole life becomes about your kids. And for, for someone without children, that's always been puzzling to me, you know. Uh, but of course, now I have my own kid. And for me, the challenge then is to remind myself that he really belongs to the Lord. And I am a steward, of course, given a heavy responsibility. Um, so I'm a steward and I should raise him well in the ways of the Lord and, of course, share with him what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but ultimately remembering that he belongs to the Lord first. He doesn't belong to me first. And raising him in that way and reminding myself that God, in fact, is the one who will take care of him no matter what. And that's so much better than I could do. So yeah. <laughs> thank God for that. So good. And Becca, I'm a little biased too, um, for, for good reasons. And we're crying already. Um, tissues are here. So I'm a sympathetic crier as well. So um, we'll try to hold it out all together up here. <clears throat> um, but a big surprise for you, Becca, was the amazingly handsome, brilliant husband that you... <laughs> oh, I misread my notes. Excuse me. <laughs> I wrote that. I put that in there. All right, no. Um, Becca, you have transitioned our family around the globe numerous times. Through the stress of another move, through another change, through another experience, and I frame that as an adventure, and you're like, this is chaotic, you know, experience. But all through those change and transitions, you've remained a solid rock and foundation for our home, for our babies, for our kids, for our marriage. And I know a lot of that has come from positive influences in your life. And you frame it a lot as a Titus II woman. Who are those women that have inspired, encouraged, role modeled for you? So what, who are some of those women and what does it mean? You, when you say that I've been a rock for our family in last week when... Um, Christy called me up and gave me flowers. I was like, was this a good point to just lean over and be like, guys, I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, you know, people are looking at me and being like, wow, well, you know, you're an example. And I'm like, okay, I'm just doing, trying to figure out what I'm doing, I guess, you know. And so I think the biggest thing, and we talked about this a lot on um, Thursday night, or yeah, Thursday, Wednesday night. Whatever, one night this week. See, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. Um, was watching other people and having other people's examples for us in mothering and in, in just growing and in leading people in general. In mothering our own children and mothering other people's children before you have children or if you don't have children. Um, and for me, it started when I was a teenager. My youth, my youth leaders, uh, my pastor's wife, just being an amazing example for me of like inviting people into your home. And she just made um, sweet tea just every Sunday, sweet tea and brownies, and we would sit around in her lounge and we would pray together and share our stories. And, 
And I was like, okay, okay, I can do that, right? And so we love having people in our home even now. And, um, and then, we, you know, just through being at different churches, just having those older women who've already gone through some of the things that you're going through now, you know, your kids are, their kids are already older than your kids or they've been through different stages of life. And I think just calling on those women, um, it just even from other countries, just talking to Rosie, she's one that has just been amazing for me. I can just send her a message or um, we use this um, app where we can talk to each other on the um, record videos for each other. And she just talks about her life and I talk about mine and she prays for me and I pray for her. And I just find that so amazing and helpful. And then being here these almost five years, so many people, so many of you in the congregation have been amazing. And just helping me to see what it's like to live in New Zealand and times when Jane has said to me little little words of wisdom and I'm like, okay, I need to remember that. My daughter's about to be a teenager. I'm going to hide that away for later. We need that. We need other people to help us, I think, because I don't know what I'm doing, and, and we're do, but we're doing it together, right? And so I think that's why that whole Titus 2 um, verse and ideas are so important to me in mothering, for sure. That's good. So I, I think a, a truth to extrapolate from a lot of things that I heard and we discussed this week was take advice from others. You don't have to figure it out on your own. That it's not just some magical fairy dust that comes over you and, oh, you're going to be a great mother. You're going to be a great father. You're going to be a great human being. Okay? We need input from other people. Um, not all of it, but amongst the family of God, I'd like to think that somewhere along the line, we pick up good golden pieces of truth that can help shape and mold us to who we are. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Now, one of the ladies that was with us uh, this week was Gaylene, and she couldn't be here this morning, but she gave us a lot of wisdom. And Gaylene talked about how in, in the beginning when her and Dave had first met, that she wasn't a believer. She wasn't a Christ follower. And this journey that she was on and then into the world of parenthood on what did it mean to be a godly mom? What did it mean to raise her kids in the eyes of the Lord, to pray for them, to, to guide them accordingly? And it was a challenge. And Gaylene, through inspiration of a neighbor said, man, I want to take this seriously, and she signed up for fostering. Her and David would foster children for eight years, countless children in and out of their home on a rotating basis, just loving on them, providing a safe uh, place for them to be. Also for their own family dynamics, parenting courses, to say how do we, how do we really learn and absorb as much as we can to grow in our capacity to lead, to love, to um, inspire our children. And Mele, you talked in our time together about the changing life cycles. That uh, your life cycle, bringing home a newborn or newborn twins in your case from the hospital into your home is a life cycle. When teenage years come about, that's a totally different way of parenting. Young adult years, or even if you're not a parent, 
different ages, different generations of life experience demands change and it demands flexibility and, and grace. And you had made a, um, a comment, and, and I love what you sent through, me, uh, through to me because you mentioned the advice and the support from Manasseh, your husband, a great guy that we love and we respect. And, and you said, I could not have been, still not now, will never be able to be a mother or do my motherhood calling and stewardship without my husband, who is the father of my children. I believe we have been both ordained by God to be partners in this calling and stewardship. He has been as willing and faithful as myself. It's a beautiful thing. What has that meant to you all through all these years? Sorry, I'm already. <laughs> For start, I believe that um, I have been blessed to be part of God's calling for humanity to be a mother. If you go to the book of Genesis, it talks about it. I'm going to make men and women in my image. He blessed them and he said, multiply. I learned it very, very early in my life that I have been blessed to be a mother, to be part of that calling, to mul multiply for humanity. And I got that very early in my journey with God and being a mother as well. But when God blessed us with the tw twin girls, as I said, I realized soon in life that I couldn't do it on my own. I told myself that I'm not going to use my mother to be like a slave in raising my own children. It's very cultural. But I'm going to do the best I can with my husband to raise our own two children. So when they were babies, you can imagine, you can't feed them at the same time. So Manasseh and I developed a routine very early in life. When it was their feeding time, okay, feeding time. Automatically, I reach out to the one twin, and he reach out to the other twin, and we fed them. We sat there for that period of time and fed them. When it was time to put them to bed, it's your twin, it's mine. We automatically reach out, unawaringly, and did the job. So you can imagine the first part of our life cycle, we were in that partnership together. When they grew up, our eldest now are 35, the twin girls, the next is 30, our only son is 25. So I was I told to go and be a principal in one of the remote places in Tonga. And while we were there, our son was preschool. Our daughter, second, um, second one in the middle, was in primary. And the eldest twins were in the um, high school. 
That was the first time we decided as parents that we are going to move a little bit away from the cultural norm of raising children. Most cases, the way we raise kids in Tonga, it's a one-way communication. We tell them, do this, do that, do that, and you're not expected to talk back to us. So if you talk back to us, we call it taungutu, meaning you're standing up for me. So the kids were supposed to just take them all in and follow what we tell them in a one-way communication. But when they were that age, we decided through reading, as Pekka was saying, you don't know what you're doing, particularly if you stumble for the first time. So we decided at a very early age that we give them a voice, which is not very typical Tongan. So we pull our children together and we say, okay, it's going to be a two-way communication. So here's what it's going to happen. We'll call you on a date individually and we'll tell you what we do not like and then you tell us what you want us to improve on. And you can imagine, eh? I remember the first time my kids were saying, Mom, give us more time. Because at that time I was the principal of a school and I was an ordained minister in Tonga, and you can imagine. Give us more time. Hit me hard. Mm. I had to bite my lips. Said to the dad, Dad, you too much um, crowding us. Relax and, you know, don't tell us up all the time. And you can imagine. That's almost at the middle age of their life cycle. But through the age and the years, the fact that we gave them that voice improve our relationship and our communication. It's different now. 35, 30, and 25. And we're not in Tonga. We are in New Zealand. All of them have gone through education. They each have a degree from the University of Auckland. Our eldest student is teaching with me in the same high school here in, New Zealand, in Auckland. Second daughter is working as an advisor at the Auckland University. The second and third one is doing a PhD right now. And our son is an opera singer in New York. Can you imagine? No, you can't. You have to be smarter than them. Because <laughs> they also read, they're exposed to all humanistic worldviews out there, and they have developed their, their ability to analyze and return to you. I just want to get, cut it short here. I've learned lately that my children have made choices that hurt me, hurt their father. The Bible tells us everything works for the good of those who love him. Give thanks in all things. That's the will of God for you. So I want to say it straight here. I could not have done it without my husband. I salute him for his willingness to get out of the expectations of our culture and be the father and a mother to our children. Let me say this, when I was an ordained minister in Tonga, 
I'd be at the pulpit preaching the gospel, and I saw outside my, my husband rolling the bram outside feeding the baby. It's very, very not Tongan. We go to public places, he will carry our children to make it easy for me to go and preach. I'd be away in conferences for a few days. He plait their hair, washed them, put them put to bed and all that. And I will be out in the afternoon for many hours. I'm a Tongan choreographer training people how to dance. And my husband will be at home making sure that they do their homework. And I do acknowledge my husband because, to be honest, I could not have raised our four gifted, lovely children without him giving a hand over there. And therefore, I believe children are ordained to be raised at home by both mother and father. Sorry, I went on a bit long. I think in that, too, you know, something else that was shared of many of us non-Tongans um, have been somewhere along the line exposed to, or hopefully you have, because your life would be blessed for it, to be at a Tongan feast. And, and Mele would share the feeling and sentiment of sitting up at the head table as a pastor, seeing her husband manning the children, you know, outside or, or doing uh, what needed to be done. And I think just the the respect and the love that you have for each other is very prominent and evident. And um, also for, a, for an individual that was raised by a single mom, mad respect. Mad respect to anyone that figures out how to do this alone because you figure who are the people you can trust around you to help parent and raise children um, is a remarkable, remarkable thing. When we look at our text... Paul's introducing us yet again in one of his letters to the idea of holiness. And when I think about motherhood, when I think about fatherhood, when I think about life, and I think about holiness, I think, wow, holiness when I go to church for an hour on Sunday morning? Tick the box. Cool. All right. Um, holiness when I'm driving in Auckland traffic? A little more challenging. A little more difficult. Holiness in our parenting, holiness in motherhood, sometimes things seem like or sound like an oxymoron, because how can we do it? Because we have faults, we have failures, we have shortcomings, and it can be a real challenge, and it can be real confronting. So the panel today, I picked perfect people to represent, we're all imperfect, aren't we? So it brings me to kind of this next point. We need to learn how to forgive, and we need to learn to be forgiven, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes in life. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. So, Stephanie, um, I had asked about aha moments, and you had shared an aha moment because in going from a lifestyle of well-established routines and expectations and being disciplined in that, having a one-year-old child in your home kind of disrupts that. And there's times that randomly occur to where Robbie's going to say, I'm hungry. 
Maybe he's not saying it yet. Maybe he's like more like a, Wah! <laughs> and you know exactly what he needs. And, and that's, te- that's taught you a deep theological principle, something that you've pondered. Share that with us. So Robbie has developed this bad habit of not taking his nap during the daytime. Um, no, he's just being a child. <laughs> so just to clarify. <laughs> like he just really doesn't. And the most we get, maybe an hour. And so by the evening, he is ultra cranky and very, very fussy. And of course, there are many times where I would text George and, are you on the way home? <laughs> because I just need some relief. But... Robbie would just be so fussy, nothing works. Like I'm rocking him, coaxing him, feeding him, patting him down, trying to get him to take a nap. And he just wouldn't, and he's just crying, and that wailing sound sounds a bit like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's so frustrating. And in that moment, I'm reminded of um, the verse in Romans chapter 5 where, where it says that while we were powerless, Christ died for us. And I'm always so amazed because it is not a love that God chose to be silent about, but he chose to demonstrate it in a very public way. And so when Robbie cries like that, I'm reminded, God loves me even when I'm at my worst. And so when Robbie is at his worst, I have to love him. I have to forgive him. And I have to well, I still have to deal with him, but it makes it a bit easier. Makes it a bit more calm, <laughs> less frustrated, a bit more patient. And lo and behold, then my husband comes home and I'm like, there you go. <laughs> no, but seriously speaking, it does help because in that moment when the Holy Spirit reminds me that God loves me, it gives me the power and the patience to love my child as well. So, yeah, thank God for his reminders. <laughs> yeah, and, and you shared about in the disappointments. I like how you said this. Um, the disappointments or the shortcomings, when the ball gets dropped, what do you do? And you said, I cry. You know, in the, in the <laughs> South, in the U.S., we say, have a come apart. You just come apart for a second and then pull yourself back together. Um, yes, you have a cry. <laughs> then you pray. And then you remind yourself that God's going to help you do it better. Yes. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yes, it's going to be okay because God is in charge. Yeah. Mele, you had said something, and I want to quote you here. Um, talking about this idea of shortcomings, having to extend forgiveness, accept forgiveness, and, and move on. I like something that you said. You said, avoid living a lie that you are perfect, but don't let that be your excuse, but always aim high. I thought that was good advice. Um, So talking about, thinking about how we deal with disappointments, with mishaps, um, how we go through these different life cycles is important for all of us to be reflective on. And something that I come to is as we talk about labels, as we talk about titles, life experience, it really is encapsulating this idea of identity. Who were we? Who am I as Josh Bolin? 
Okay? Who are we as fill in the blank with your own name? So my identity is in Christ Jesus, full stop. That's what it has to be because any other identity falls short. So my identity is not defined by many things that we try to define ourselves by, but my identity is found in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my identity is not defined by if I have children or how many children I have. It's not defined by that. My identity isn't really even defined in if I'm kind or uptight. My identity is not how successful or what a failure I've been. Or how successful or how much of a failure my children have been. My identity is not found in that. Rather, I hope and pray that my identity is reflected in my children's. It's reflected in their identity because their identity is going to reflect Christ. So, so often we want to identify ourselves based upon our kids and their achievements and what they've done. But we get it backwards sometimes. That if we pull down, pull back the layers and sort through to the very basic foundation of truth, my identity is found in Christ Jesus. So we want to drive our identity in accolades and achievements, but God says, that's not my way. Some of that is good. Some of that is a blessing. Some of that is to enrich your life experience, but your identity is so much more value than things, than events, than happenstance. So let me ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? Josh Boland living in the glory days of when I was a soccer player? <laughs> not hardly. It's not my identity today. Josh Boland and all my achievements, my promotions, my salaries, my, my kids when they excel, my hunting photos when I have a big trophy hanging on the wall? Not hardly. Peel the layers back. Who are you? Mele, you said, who am I? I am defined by a combination of God's creation, my physical being in the flesh and cultural. Psalm 139, 14. A sinner not perfect part of a fallen world, Romans 3.23. Redeemed and saved my spiritual being, Ephesians 2.8-9. An adopted child of God. My status, Romans 8.14-17. A disciple and a witness. My life now till I die, Mark 16.15. Galatians 2.20, Philippians 1.21. There's a lot of references there. There's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom. And I think that would be a powerful exercise to take one paragraph in answering the question, 
Who am I? What is my identity? See what you come up with. See what spews from the heart in being true and real and honest to yourself of answering the question, who am I? What would your paragraph say? What would it look like? Would it be inspiring? Would it be helpful for someone else to hear? Becca, you also talked about the relief of pressure when you recognize God as the author of life for your children. Unpack that. I think, um, yeah, it's that whole idea of that we're a steward of their lives, but we're not in charge of them, you know. We can, we can lead them to the their footsteps to the sanctuary, but God leads their heart. And so it's not, it's not my, what I'm doing, right, that's making my kids succeed or making them well. It's we can set them up for success, right, but we really are a steward in that and just leading them in, the, in that direction, praying for them and leading them to other people that can, you know, hold them up as well. Because it's not always going to be me that's the best person for them in that stage of life. It might be a professional, it might be another pastor, it might be another mom, it might be someone who's not a mom, but that's mothering them, right? It doesn't always have to be me. And so I think knowing how the other older women have helped me in my life helped me to realize that there'll also be people there in my children's lives as well. It doesn't always have to be just about me. Of course, I'd love to be everything for my kids all the time, but so many times it's other people stepping in to be what they need in that moment um, alongside me or in place of me, which I think does take that pressure off. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry, you didn't pick a perfect panel this morning. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Like God has not given us a spirit of timidity and fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. Like that's where we're pulling on to give us the strength to be moms. So I think it's more... It's bigger than us, which does take off a little pressure about me being the perfect mom, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, to, to hear it from each and every one of our mouths as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we make mistakes, and we need forgiveness of our Heavenly Father to grow and move and find victory above those mistakes, to see victory over sin, to conquer that in and through our lives. So... I've said this numerous times about parenting, and it fits right in here perfectly, but Dr. Kevin Lehman says the thing I love about my faith is that he gave me free will to choose. I just hate the fact that he gave that same privilege to my children. (laughs) That'll preach. So let me, this has been real talk, and let me wrap up with real talk, a real story, because I want to tell you about one of my friends that I just recently met, and raised in a, in a Christian home, taken a Sunday school class, you know, learning the stories, but found a different path after his teenage years to say, no, not for me, no thanks. To go through life, to experience life to its full, you know, whatever that means, and, and, and just three weeks ago, visiting mom and dad, said, all right, let's go to church. 
And sitting in church and plagued for a whole week after that experience of asking the questions about identity. Asking a real deep question on how did my life get to this spot? How did I arrive here? Two weeks ago, sitting in the church, got to talk about Jesus again. Got to rededicate his life to the Lord. Say, God, do something in me because I, I, I need to experience real life change. Committed his life to Christ. He was here last week. He's in the sanctuary right now. God's doing something amazing. And I think of the prayers of his parents. They couldn't make the decision for him. They couldn't tell him how to live his life. They couldn't tell him, no, you're wrong. This is the right way to do it. But they could, they could pray. They could plant the seeds of the experience of Sunday school and the exposure to church and leading his footsteps to the sanctuary. But he had to find his own way. Praise God that he did. I'm so excited about what God's doing in Jamin's life. I'm excited about the conversations we're having with him and his partner Zoe. God's doing something incredible. And I think how often as parents we think, it's not sinking in, they're drifting, they're, whoa, where are you going? And the hurt, the pain, and the agony, because you love them so much, you care about where they spend eternity. And it hurts. It hurts. So if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're someone who's been praying for a lost person, you're not a failure. God can redeem it. God desires to reclaim his own creation and bring that creation back to him. And to God be all the glory. Amen? Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just share stories. Thank you for these ladies that are inspiring, who are helpful, who offer wise counsel. God, you are so good to us. But Lord, we're all confronted with the reality of our shortcomings, our faults and our failures. But God, it's in our brokenness that you come and you help fill in those gaps. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to encourage us, to increase our capacity to love and be compassionate to the world around us. God, you open the door so wide for us to just come back into your presence to, to declare you Lord of our lives. So God, if anyone here this morning is estranged from that, if they're so distant and far away, God, help them know that they are dearly loved. They are cherished, and you truly think of them as an awesome creation, a wonderful human being. Lord, renew in us a spirit of realness to remove the facades, to be open and honest about the struggles, about the victories, the blessings in life. God, help us to not hoard it for ourselves, but to share it with all who will listen. 
because, God, you are indeed good. We love you, God. Smile upon us and give us your favor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.